0: Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code The Athletic, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a fifteen hundred dollar first bet offer on your first wager.
1: Uh, you are now tuned into anything audible, the most honorable, the most audible.
2: Like Paul Pierce
3: when he was fresh out the hospital. Like Antoine when he me after shots went through. Welcome to portable, the Boston Celtics Podcast here on The Athletic Podcast Network. I'm your host, Sam Jam, Packard professional sports fan. And I am joined, as always, by the kid, the god, the legend himself, Celtics beat reporter from The Athletic. We are coming to you live on a Saturday morning in the Celtics. Just can't stop winning. Eventually, we're going to get tired of all the winning, but Jay King, you were there last night as they took on the very pesky Detroit Pistons, and they continue to win. They are now a game and a half back of the second seed in the Eastern Conference. Uh, They seemingly are a great fourth quarter team now, which just doesn't make any sense if you watch the Celtics early on in the season. Uh, we have the KG Retirement Ceremony, which will be on Sunday, and we'll preview that with uh, looking into the great oral history you and Jared Weiss wrote in the second half of the episode. But Jay, I guess what stands out to you over these last two wins over the Pistons and Hornets? Well, it's, first of all, it's kind of insane that they're
4: one and a half games out of for, or second place. <laughs> 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 that, that one kind of snuck up on me. Uh, I know they've been surging, but to get to that point where second place in the East is a legitimate possibility is just insane. Um, But yeah, lately, like the last couple of games, Charlotte and Detroit, I felt like the Celtics didn't have their best, but then reached a point where they just decided, all right, let's, let's buckle down and... In Charlotte, that included Jason Tatum going absolutely bonkers, and in Detroit, it was more so just a team-wide defensive effort. After giving up a ton of points in the third quarter, they just kind of buckled in and said, "All right, let's 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 go run away from these jabronis," and they did. And I I, I think obviously, Ime is happier when when they have start to finish victories like they did for a while in that stretch, but to, to be able to collectively, you know, push aside a few quarters of not ineffective play but just not great play. Um, I think, I think that shows that shows growth for the Celtics that, that they're able to put, put that stuff aside and, And click when it matters.
3: And and especially in the fourth quarter, though, like that's the part that feels like the biggest surprise. And I think the biggest takeaway from that Pistons game is like there was clearly like a flip that switched at the start of the fourth quarter. They're like, oh, we're just not going to let the ball in the paint anymore. And we're just going to end this basketball game. And like, can you imagine earlier in the season thinking about just like, oh, this is a strong, like smart, Uh, a strong-willed fourth-quarter basketball team, the Boston Celtics. Like, that just seems shocking. Yeah, they've they've come a long way. And
4: and part of that, I think, is Tatum's evolution and how much he's grown and how well he's playing right now. The, The streak he's been on is ridiculous. He had 31 points against Detroit, and that was, like, his worst game of the last five or six games. And I think because of the way he's playing and because of the streak he's on teams need to really like the, the Pistons were going out and double teaming him sometimes near half court. And then it's just like one pass from him because he's willing to get it out. Now one pass from him, another pass to another guy and all of a sudden like Marcus smart is cutting baseline for a bucket, you know, or like, like, it's just he, him, playing at the level he is right now is making the game easier for everyone else. And I think you can see that in the fourth quarters. And I think the Celtics have found what works for them in the fourth quarters. And and part of that is just Jason Tatum being awesome.
3: And he was not even like his best form last night, but it was like easy 30 points. He's on a five game streak of scoring 30 points or more. Like you really feel like the recipe is there for, continued success it's just i'm with you i'm surprised uh that they're this close to the two seed and at this point it's so jumbled up like they're a half game back of the three seed they're basically tied with the bulls uh for the four seed with the bulls having a few percentage points just because the Celtics have played two more games but i don't even know if you want the two seed at this point i feel like the three like getting to the three seed with the nets just kind of looming in the uh, playing tournament and we saw what the Nets did to the 76ers on Thursday night. Lay like, is, I feel like there's going to be a lot of jockeying towards the end of the season. And as long as the Celtics kind of put themselves in a position, it feels like the three seed is where you want to end up, but it's just wild that it's so jumbled right now.
4: I, I think as long as Cleveland stays in six, Everyone's going to be aiming for that. <laughs> it's going to be <laughs> a lot, a lot shenanigans. of shenanigans. Trying to lose games. Yeah, yeah. There's there's going to be all sorts of of gamesmanship down the stretch if if the Cavs stay in six, and they might not. Like they're pretty close to the pack too. They're just three losses out of second place themselves, and
3: they haven't been playing well lately. But. But there's only there are only two games up on the Raptors, which I like, even if the Raptors are in the sixth seed, I still think people are are going to try and avoid playing Brooklyn in the first round. Just that's having Brooklyn just being a looming team for the one or two seed is just feels like a wild slap in the face to the two best teams in the conference. Like, oh, you guys have been here's your reward. It's a crazy variable. And then the other part of it is you don't know whether
4: they're going to be the seven or eight seed, you know, like they're going to be in the playing tournament and you're not going to know until that playing tournament is over. So you're not going to know, like, do I get the the one, do I get the two? If you get either of those seeds, you could get Brooklyn in the first round. And uh, so, yeah, I I think the three would be ideal. Um, And then So (laughs) here's the ideal situation for Boston. Celtics get the three Cleveland is in six and Chicago
3: is two. Oh yeah. So then, then, and then then the Nets are eight. And so then the Chicago is the most likely team to advance out of that two, seven matchup. Because if then, if the Nets are the seven in that, then you're most likely probably getting the Nets in uh, round two, (laughs) but there is a path where they could go Cavs bulls, and then whoever makes it to the Eastern conference finals.
4: That would be a good path. That would be quite a path. I was talking about I can't this for a year when, like the the seedings were so important. Like they're they're always important, and but th- this year especially, it just feels like there are a lot of really tough teams in the East, and then there are a couple others that you'd like
3: to play. <laughs> well the thing is like I uh, talking about this on my, my other pod but like there's five teams at least in my opinion that could realistically win the Eastern Conference and I think I wouldn't be surprised if the Celtics went up against the Nets Sixers Bucks or Heat like I wouldn't be surprised if either side won I feel like no matter what it's at least a six game series and like both no matter what, both sides are going to have tremendous talent. And I like, I can see the second, like Celtics beating all of those teams. I think I would pick the Celtics in every matchup other than the Milwaukee bucks, but that's uh, probably cause me. Oh, you're feeling me, it. Yeah. You are that's, feeling I'm it. feeling it. Like the hype is building, but I, I wouldn't be shocked if they lost to the heat in the playoff series. Like the heat are a very good team. I wouldn't be shocked if they lost to the Sixers. Um, I'd be a little shocked if James Harden showed up in the playoffs because there's a big game, but like any of those teams, it's just like, it's going to be a bloodbath. It's going to be an absolute bloodbath. And so if there's any way the seeding can kind of help you avoid, like in the scenario we just described where the Bulls get the two and the Southers get the three and like you can avoid those four other teams on the other side of the bracket, that like, that's ideal, but it's really, I have no idea what's going to happen down the stretch it's just wild that like the confidence with which I'm being like, yeah, the Celtics could easily make the Eastern Conference finals or the finals. Like the turnaround that this team has done is is wildly unprecedented. And I've heard people people we have gotten into award season and we'll get into DPOY uh defensive player of the year because Marcus Smart had some interesting t- things to say after the game last night. But I've heard some talks about coach of the year. And Monty Williams is getting a lot of love. Baker staff's getting a lot of love as they should. But what, like, do you think Ime has any chance at that award or deserves that award? Because I think given like how wild this turnaround has been, like you have to give him some, a lot of credit for that. But then I was listening to our main man, Timmy Bontemps saying, he's like, you can't start off the, the season so poorly and then get the award. And I just thought that was a a bit of a poppycock argument. He, he started off in his first year, things struggled and now he's turned it around mid season. That's a hell of a coaching job. It,
4: it, it, I I think two things can be true. One, it's a heck of a coaching job. And uh, especially because he was really hard on the guys and he still got buy-in and he eventually reached the team, reached the team's best players and, and helped transform the way the Celtics were playing. I I also think that he's been a quick learner, but some of the decisions early in the season, whether it was, you know, closing with Dennis Schroeder, playing him 30 plus minutes consistently, uh, running stuff that wasn't necessarily conducive to good basketball and crunch time. Um, the, I, I think a lot of that stuff also weighs into the equation and, and if you're judging the best coach of the year,
3: like I think that should be held against E-may, um versus but he's only, but he did all that stuff and he's only a game and a half back in the two seed. Like the only argument I can accept is what Mikey about culture in
0: the one? He's he didn't go
3: through any of that adversity and he's only four games up on the Celtics. He, why, why didn't he? He culture, been super hurt. They've been, they've been super <laughs> hurt. They've
4: been like they've, their best four players have barely played together all season. So I, 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 I do feel like, like Ime deserves. Credit for sure and and especially because you know it, it's not easy to get guys to break habits and to break through and to change their playing style
3: um but i, I think guess. it's it's more impressive doing it in your first year as a head coach at all like i think that's where i think of giving email the most credit is one the celtics In their turnaround, have just been absolutely absurd. Just their record, uh, like how they're playing now, is wild. But like to do it in your first year and not have anything to like lean on or experiences to use, I think is impressive. Obviously, Spolstra, given what Miami's health situation has been, has been impressive. But he's also been doing it for over a decade now, and like I don't know, I'm also uh, clearly biased in this scenario. So are we grading on a curve now for coach of the year? I mean, all of these, yeah, it's all about narrative. I think uh, clearly the real answer is just Monty Williams because no one saw the sun's going to be winning more than like 60 games. Um, but I don't know. How do you evaluate coach of the year? It's, it's the only award that feels more kind of subjective would be defensive player of the year. And um, Marcus Smart, I love him and I trust him. Has an opinion on the issue, although despite saying he's only about winning um, and that only cares about winning and not individual accolades, seems to care a little bit about this individual accolade. What did he say after the Pistons game? Yeah,
4: so basically he said he doesn't know why it's so hard for a guard to win the Defensive Player of the Year award. And I think Gary Payton was the last guard to win it in 1996. So it's been a long, long time since a guard won he and he said the other part that was caught my eye was that he said he and Rob Williams are on the best defensive team in the league and are not even in the discussion and so he feels like it's just a popularity contest which it, i mean it is a popularity contest to some extent it it takes into account reputation and all that stuff because Honestly, people don't know enough about defense, and people don't watch defense closely enough and you know defense is so difficult to measure because you have to define a single guy's impact when so many things, including scheme teammates around you, everything else, goes into how effective you are as a defender um and it for for me, I, I do think that several Celtics should be in consideration for the all defensive team. Like you look at their their numbers as a team, and especially the numbers with their starting lineup, just been ridiculous. Um, I kind of think that Al Horford should be like, "What the hell, Smart? Like, why, why, <laughs> why 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 are you putting just just you and Rob Williams in there?" Like, I've been pretty. Pretty pivotal to this defense as well. And I know Rob Williams gets a lot of the credit uh, for being like the
3: the roving free safety guy. But, but, but he's only able to do that because Al Horford's taking on the direct matchup of all the big guys. Yeah, and also switching out onto guards like John Morant and Kyrie Irving and
4: Kevin Durant on a regular basis, no matter who the Celtics play at the age of, 35. Like Horford has been defensively just super super important to the Celtics. But but that's why I think it's it's kind of difficult to to gauge um who deserves the most credit for their defensive success because what really has made them so difficult I think is they've got legitimately four guys who are probably in the top 20ish of defenders this season and i i don't know exactly what what the number is but you you're you're
3: including tatum in that
4: yeah tatum too um and those guys have all been defending at an extremely high level and then you throw jalen in there who at least when he's locked in and he's been locked in a lot this season like he he's extremely effective too so like it's it's hard to say who's the most important player in that mix. Uh, Robert Williams thinks it's just Marcus Smart. <laughs> he, he said
3: Smart's his choice for defensive player of the year. But but how do you judge? Also disrespecting Al Horford. Uh, yeah, everybody's disrespecting <laughs> Al Horford. So, somebody, somebody's got to give Al Horford his respect. We will give Al Horford his
4: respect because he's been awesome on a regular basis and his versatility and his size at the power forward position. I didn't think coming into this season, I didn't know at least whether he'd be able to handle power forward because uh, maybe I was just scarred from the Daniel Tice, Tristan Thompson duo. Um,
3: As we all were.
4: But it had been a while since Horford had played high level basketball for a good team. And no, he's he's more than capable of it. He's actually been a huge key to allow the Celtics to be monster and have a lot of size and still be one of the most switchy teams in the league, which is very difficult. Like, to have that much size in the front court and still be that switchy is extremely rare. And that's what's helped differentiate the Celtics. And Orford is a huge part of that. So it's, it's hard to say where one player's impact begins and another player's end. I just know the Celtics' defense when they're locked in it's like they reach another level and we saw that against the Pistons like the Pistons just stopped scoring they went more than 12 minutes without a field goal in from late in the third quarter to to the last 30 seconds of the fourth, like the Celtics they just have another gear this year defensively when, when they really dig deep
3: yeah, it the thing about defensive player of the year, it normally goes to a big man and like we've seen Rudy Gobert win it three of the last four years. And it's like kind of difficult because I know all it's very hard to one capture defense analytically, but like all defensive metrics say Rudy Gobert is great. But I know all those metrics also kind of like reward defensive rebounding. But it's weird because like the jazz defense is all predicated on, like, funneling the ball towards Gobert. And so, like, obviously, he's going to look the best. But I heard this – Pat Bev actually made this argument on J.J. Reddick's podcast. And it's a reason why he was obviously talking about how he should be in contention for Defensive Player of the Year, but just guards in general. And I think something that works in Smart's favor and maybe in Al Horvath's favor, like, someone like a big man like Robert Williams or Rudy Gobert – They're not going to be like consistently matched up against the other team's best player, especially on the wing. Like Rudy Gobert, if he gets called out on perimeter, like that's probably a loss for the Jazz. Robert Williams, I think he's had some moments uh, blocking shots or guarding Julius Randle, but uh, like that's just not his strong suit. I think like that's what you would give like the most, I guess, credit to Marcus Smart is he's automatically even if the guy's a bit like, I don't think he's going to guard Joel Embiid, but if anyone's kind of smaller than that, you kind of, you put Marcus smart on him. I think the thing that's tough is that with this, how much the Celtics switch, there's no, like, it's not like Marcus smarts following around one guy and shutting him down for an entire game. And just with how many ball screens there is, it's just like, it's a team thing. It's a team concept. And I think the, at this point you kind of get punished for having the best team defense in the league because, If you have three defensive player of the year candidates, do you really have one? Like there's really, it's hard to kind of uh, give credit to only one guy when it's like been their team switching scheme. That has been kind of the reason for their success. And I think that's why
4: Rudy Gobert gets and deserves a lot of credit, especially during the regular season is because they are not loaded with high level defenders everywhere. And they still normally have a very good defense. And if you take Rudy Gobert away from that defense, it's not nearly close. Whereas you take probably any one of the Celtics away from that defense and they still have a legitimacy. Like they're still one of the better defensive teams the league because they just have a lot of defensive depth. Um, but yeah, and, 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 you know, smart is at least at the guard position probably have any position or just one of the most versatile guys, because like you said, he can guard, he can guard bigs in the post and he can guard John ja Morant. He can guard, he can guard anyone. And, and that's, that's hugely beneficial. That's, that's what really helps win playoff games. So it, I mean, defensive player of the year award is always, it's always weird. Um, and I, I don't think a lot of people are very good judges of who's the best defender in the league. But but I know like the Celtics have a lot of very high-level defenders and smart and Robert Williams and Tatum and Horford and Jalen Brown. Like, good luck scoring against those guys when they're together. <laughs> you know? they're, they're giving up 92 points for 100 possessions this year. It's just insane the, the level of defense that they've played with their first unit. Um, so I, I mean, I don't know if if
3: anyone will eclipse Rudy Gobert this season again for a Defensive Player of the Year award. Oh no, they're not going to vote for him. Everyone's sick of giving him a giving him the Defensive Player of the Year. You think so? I am personally. Who, who do, I
4: don't. I do not think Who do you I think it's? It's it's funny. Smart said
3: he and Rob don't get discussed because I feel like no one's just discussed the Defensive Player of the Year award in general. I feel like it, the discussion of the award just, like, started this week just because it's, like, award seasons. But um, I don't, like, Draymond had it. I don't know. It, it's probably just going to be Rudy by yeah, default. it, it would have been
4: Draymond if he'd stayed healthy.
3: I think Bam has a chance um, at winning it, and then that's about it. The games that he missed, though. How many games did, he miss, I mean, How did he Rudy was- miss a bunch of games, too? Yeah, I guess that's true. Do you know if the all-defensive teams like have position requirements? Because it's going to be interesting to see if Robert Williams even makes both those teams. If if it's just restricted to center, and we just talked about Gobert and Bam maybe um, being first team and second team. It's kind of wild to talk about Robert Williams not making an all-NBA defensive. All I guess I'm looking at last year and Bam and Joel – uh made the second team. So it seems like positions matter a little bit less for those, but I don't know exactly how it works. It's all kind of made up.
4: Yeah, I'm I'm looking right now and uh I'm not sh- I, I'm, I'm I honestly, I honestly I'm not sure how that works. Um the year before Brook Lopez and Bam Adebayo were both on second team, but it's possible Adebayo is uh just considered a power forward or center for for the voting i'm not sure exactly how it works honestly yeah uh all right before we get to talking about the how how would you rank the celtics defenders if you had to rank this is again very subjective and probably not at all helpful but it's a
3: smart one i don't know you kind of talked me into al horford a little bit um Smart, Time Lord, Horford, Tatum, Derek White, Grant Williams, Jalen Brown, Peyton Pritchard. Top eight. You weren't ready for a top eight rankings. I I wasn't (laughs) ready for the top eight rankings. That's
4: why that's why Packers one of the best to do it.
3: (laughs) What about you? Where like how do you
4: This was not a question for me, it was just a question for me.
0: Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone?
5: This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside
3: to learn more. Okay, that's a fair point. All right, before we get to uh, some KG talk, talking about the oral history you wrote, let's go to The phone lines, those waiting in this live room right now. Um, We'll go to Joshua B. right now. Joshua, thanks for joining us on Anything is Potable. Thank God.
1: Okay, I don't understand. First off, (laughs) I've been listening all week (laughs) to The Athletic, to Bill Simmons, to The Ringer, to ESPN. And for whatever reason, and I'm genuinely asking you this question, J. King. How is nobody connecting the dots that Boston beat Brooklyn and Brooklyn beat Philadelphia? Because I'll tell you what, everybody is connecting.
3: That's some transitive property, right there. That's some
1: God, high quality
3: transitive property.
1: Never mind that we've won. I, I don't even know what our record is over the last twenty five games. I think it's something ridiculous, like twenty one and four. But forget forget all that. Let's just go with the idea that. The Brooklyn Nets were fouling us desperately to, like, come back in their game on ABC. Everybody celebrates that, and immediately all we're doing is looking, you know, passionately waiting for the dud of the century in the Philadelphia Sixers versus the Brooklyn Nets. That was the boringest game that I've ever seen I don't know, maybe in my whole life. And all it all it illustrates, the whole thing that's illustrated, is that we have the ultimate advantage against either team. Because James Harden is not going to show up for the playoffs. And if we do get the Brooklyn Nets, suppose we do get the Brooklyn Nets, the big, scary Brooklyn Nets, Kyrie Irving is going to call for a switch on Jason Tatum because Kyrie has this amazing belief that he can guard anybody. He did it against Giannis. He he did it (laughs) against Durant when he was with us. He'll do it against um, LeBron and he'll do it against Jason Tatum because Jason Tatum lit him up for 50 points. You have Kevin Durant on the other side who has like a seven foot wingspan. Nah, let's guard him with Kyrie six foot one like this an it, advantage and we were my, lighting my them. man josh has been waiting yeah. to get some shit off his chest <laughs> we were lighting the brooklyn what? nets up how do you not connect Hold the dots on. i listened to everybody this week and nobody was like yeah the, the boston Celtics could be and by the way we're only a game and a half out of sec- out of the number two seed and if you really want to look at stats If you're really desperate to look at stats, look at our home record versus our away record. Our away record, we're around 500. Our home record, we're like something like 9 or 10 or 11 games up. Over 500. So, yeah, it does make sense that we would want two seed, where we would only have to play one extra game on the road when we would face Miami. Yeah, Miami possibly has a chance at beating us. Same with Milwaukee. But all of these other garbage teams, especially the Sixers (laughs) and the Nets, have (laughs) no chance against us. None. Zero. Write it down. I'm done. Go ahead.
3: Oh, Josh, that was electric. That was fantastic stuff.
4: I I just... I'm just baffled by the fact that he started it off with "Thank God," and, and then had had nothing to be thankful for for the rest, the rest of the call. It was just he was thankful
3: for life. his opportunity to uh, give a speech to preach to the good people out there. Yeah, I
4: I think that is true. He he was just grateful that we gave him the stage. Um, there was a lot to unpack in that call. I, I'm not as willing to write off the 76ers or the Nets. The, but the, the Kyrie asking for a switch on Tatum, that that's funny he brought that up because during the fourth quarter of that Nets game, Jason Tatum was guarding Kyrie Irving. And Kyrie waved away a screen so that he could go one-on-one against Jason Tatum. It's like, <laughs> what, what are you doing? Like, why? Why not try to get one of the big guys on you? Why not? Why not go at you know Al Horford or Robert Williams instead? Like, you you made it difficult on yourself, Kyrie, and it seemed like the the machismo of the moment got the better of him there. I, I'm not saying that will necessarily happen in a playoff series. But I am saying, I watched that moment and it was like, what is Kyrie doing right now? So, Josh,
3: electric
4: (laughs) hostility in that call.
3: (laughs) I'm also like, the Celtics won that game, but it was a pretty close game and they still needed 50 points from Jason Tatum. I don't think it was like they didn't dominate the Nets as much as the Nets dominated the uh, 76ers. Now, I'm willing to diminish the 76ers because. James Harden really didn't show up in a big game. And it was a lot of fun watching just the most childish sports fans in all of the country follow around Ben Simmons, boo him at his hotel, like follow around his bus all day and like pay $4,000 just to get in the stadium and then just have James Harden not show up whatsoever. That was fantastic uh, theater. I uh, very much enjoyed that. I do think – I talked about the five teams I think can win the East this year. I would put the Sixers – this is probably crazy to say, but I would put them fifth at this point out of those five just because James Harden has never proven it in the playoffs. And you would think that like having Embiid there, like having two superstars on the team would make it so there's not as much pressure. But, man – the the Sixers just got trampled. The Sixers don't have any defense, I think, is a, another issue for them. Like, they have the two superstars, and then they have zero depth behind it. And so I agree with Josh. I'm less scared of the 76ers than I would be, and I'm a little bit less scared of the Nets. I said, like, I would pick pretty much the Celtics against any team except for the Bucs right now. Um, I think the Heat would be a very good series, but I do think the Celtics – At least in my um, addled brain, which I think Josh shares the similar affliction I have, um, I do think the Celtics are a little bit, a notch above, or at least not scared of the Nets or uh, the 76ers. Like, do you think, do you believe in James Harden in the playoffs, Jay? Like, has has he done anything to make you think he's going to show up in a playoff series?
4: I, I... I think Harden is one of the best basketball players. Regular my, season. I, I think regular he,
3: season. What's his, the, what's his biggest postseason moment?
4: I mean, there's blocking, a lot was, of it, was
3: it? Was it blocking Lou Dort in the, in the bubble series in game seven of a series that should have never been seven games?
4: I'm just saying there's a lot of talk about that, but he almost beat the Warriors when they were at full strength and the greatest team maybe that ever lived. Like he had them on the ropes.
3: Almost only so you, counts you could, in
4: horseshoes and hand grenades, Jay. I'm, I'm just saying, like to to write that man off just because he lost to the Warriors, or like, oh like, that's just doing it wrong to me. And I, there's no Warriors this year, and that's part of what makes it fun this year is that I do feel like the East is wide open. Um, but yeah, I I am not going to write off James Harden. I think <laughs> it's, it's unwise to to do that, especially when he's with someone as capable as Joel Embiid. Obviously, you know, those guys, neither of those guys have the best playoff record, but I think also dealing with them for seven games will be incredibly difficult. That said, salute to Josh. My my man man
3: said, thank God and
2: fuck everything else.
3: All right, we're going to go over now to Avery W. Avery, you have a, a tough act to follow, but I, I believe in you. Thanks for joining us here on Potable. Hey, guys. Uh, I don't think I can follow that
6: uh, in any way. i <laughs> <laughs> even begin to, so I won't try. My question has to do with rotations and minutes uh, for the Celtics. Like, I think a huge theme that people haven't really touched on, like the Celtics' success, is that they really have gone to, like, an eight-man rotation, occasionally nine, depending with ties. And, like, I'm looking at NBA.com, and it's actually not – as bad as you would think, like only Jalen and Jason are in the top fifty for like minutes per game since you know Gen- January first. But is there at any point in time in the next like three weeks or in the run up to the playoffs do you think uh, Eme will ease up on the number of minutes he has the starters to play, or is this the way it's going to be the rest of the season? And do you think that's the right idea?
4: I think it depends on who they're lined up to play. <laughs> like if if, if they're going to be the three seed and they can cruise to that, I think they'll rest guys. He may. Has not really been big on resting guys this season. um He has not shied away from giving guys big minutes. Al Horford at thirty-five played forty minutes in a game a few weeks ago, and actually had to sit out on the second leg of a back-to-back after that. So I I don't see Udoka like going away from that anytime soon. Um, that said like he he really hasn't loaded up minutes on the main guys lately, partly because the Celtics are blowing teams out and he's been able to, to give guys rest at the end of games rather than before that. So I think it's, it's, it's worked well enough so far. I do wonder if loading all these minutes up on Horford and Robert Williams is wise. Uh, I think Tatum can probably handle it. He's been as durable as anyone Uh, Jalen playing a lot of minutes after the ankle like not great but again he's young and and typically bounces back uh but yeah the 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 situation with Robert Williams and and Al Horford I think like it, I don't know whether those guys can handle that for
3: an entire playoff run but we'll see I think luckily for the Celtics maybe It depends how you look at it, but like the only place that they can seemingly give minutes to other guys is at the bigs. Like they have Tice who can fill in, and especially right now with Me Smith hurt, like I just don't know what the rest of their lineup is going to be. Like, are we going to get some Nick Stauskas minutes? Like, I don't. You like what? I I thought
4: that was the funniest thing is when you know, Jalen was out and then Smith got hurt instead of using one of those guys who was like, all right, we'll play Grant Williams at small forward, you know? And so that's how reluctant he's been to go deep into the bench and deep into the bench is really, really bleak. Like there's Nick Stauskas is like the only guy with NBA experience and he doesn't have much. Uh, I mean, Luke Cornett, I guess has a little bit of NBA experience too, but he's not going to play behind Corporate, Robert Williams, and Daniel Tice. So like Sam Hauser, Keelan Martin, Malik Fitz. Like like who who would you play? <laughs> you know <what> I mean? <laughs> and uh so there aren't many options. But but I do think, you know, they'll be able to play as long as they're healthy in a playoff series. If you're not healthy in a playoff series, you're probably gonna lose anyway. But as long as they're healthy in a playoff series, they can even go to seven, seven guys in a rotation with just Grant Williams and um, Derek White off the bench. So I, I don't think it's a, a huge issue, the minutes, but,
3: but we'll, we'll see. We the, see. the C's do have three more back to backs this season. Um, and I wouldn't be shocked if Horford didn't play on like one of those legs. Like, The next one coming up after this Dallas game, they have a four game West coast swing and they go back to back Denver OKC. Like I wouldn't be surprised if Horford didn't play in that OKC game. And just because that's that OKC game, maybe it's, um, uh, an opportunity for some other guys to get some rest on that night. The following week they have a home game against Minnesota and then go to Toronto. The interesting one, and you talked about this, but like, the final three season or three games of the season is a back to back with uh at Chicago, at the Bucs, and then they've like have a couple days off before uh the final game against Memphis. But depending on seeding, like, especially with the Bucs and the Bulls being right there in the game, if they're in the two seed they might need to lose some games or might want to have those teams jump them, we might get see a chance for some rest. And I just think it's most important with the guys you mentioned, especially with Al Horford, it just feels like when he's had a little bit of rest, he's been that much better. And so um, I just think that if there's an opportunity at Horford, some rest, especially on the back-to-backs, I wouldn't see it, but um, it's a good point that like the shortening of rotation seems to have really worked for the Celtics. And um, maybe we'll just see more Grant Williams, uh, small forward minutes. Who knows? Uh, let's go to Brian L right now, Brian. Thanks for joining us
7: hey can you guys hear me yes sir um why can i hear
3: that's a good question (laughs) i
7: cannot my phone is freaking out i'm sorry Um, i don't have a legal question for you this week jam (laughs) that's okay can you hear me yes we can hear you i my phone is freaking out i'm sorry um, just ask Jim, question. I don't have a legal no. question for you this week, but uh, Jay, I just wanted to say I love the Kevin Garnett piece you did. Uh, KG is my favorite athlete Thank of all time, much, so man. I love stuff like that. Love the Brian shout shoutouts and that. I love that guy. And I guess my question is, is what is the level of concern that there should be regards to Derek White shooting right now? Because maybe it's just me constantly hearing how the Celtics need more shooting and how maybe I've fallen in love with the idea of a shooter, but projecting out to the playoffs and stuff like that. Miami and Milwaukee are teams that are like very stout defensively, but if there's a weakness there, it's kind of that they willingly concede the three. And so I would be lying, I guess, if that's kind of not just in the back of my mind when projecting and predicting about what these Eastern conference playoffs are going to look like.
3: It's a fair point. He couldn't even hear us if we told him it was a fair point, but Jay, how concerned (laughs) should the C's be about their lack of shooting specifically Derek White, he knocked down a three last night. And it was like, he's been very impactful without, you know, being a great three-point shooter this whole season. But imagine if he was a good three-point shooter. it would feel like it would take his, like, value just through the roof. Yeah,
4: I feel like there are are two parts to that. One, I do think the Celtics will deal with... In the playoffs, some defensive strategies that, that take advantage of Marcus Smart and Derek White not being knocked down three-point shooters. At the same time, those guys are smart enough to probably deal with that pretty well. And and we've seen the Celtics get a lot better at cutting, moving without the ball, dealing with double teams on Jason Tatum. And I feel like,
3: yeah, what's going on, Packard? What are you doing, man? My headphones came out of the phone I'm for back. a second, but I'm back. Okay. <laughs> Audio issues is oh, galore. Exactly. Jesus, Patrick. Uh-
5: The Old Man and the Three is the only companion podcast you'll need during the playoffs this year. Be sure to listen to The Old Man and the Three ad free on Wondery Plus or wherever you get your podcasts.
4: But yeah, so I, I feel like the intelligence there is, is one way to counteract that, and I feel like we saw that with, with the Warriors a lot during their best teams. You know, they had Steph and Clay, obviously, um, but around those guys, it was like Andre Iguodala, Draymond Green. Sean Livingston guys that couldn't shoot and they were able to take advantage of the defensive pressure on Stephen clay because they were really smart and knew how to adjust to that. And so I think the Celtics are going to, obviously they're not the warriors, but they're going to have to deal with that stuff in, in similar types of ways by, by thinking the game and, and by going to to stuff that's not necessarily just like one pass away, three point shots. So White's like White will shoot better. um, But part of the the talk from the Celtics front office, at least when the trade happened was we think that Derek White will shoot better with better looks from Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown than he got in San Antonio. And so far that has not come to fruition, obviously. So it's not a huge concern when, you know, one of your bench guys is, is not a total knockdown shooter, but he will probably be in the closing lineup a lot of the time. And, and I guess if, if he gets up to let's say 35 or 36%, even that would be a, a big lift to the Celtics on time.
3: I think the other thing about Derek white is uh, as long as the ball's not swinging to him at the very end of the shot clock, if you teams are either closing out on him or he has a lot of space, like he doesn't just have to shoot to be effective. I think we've seen him do a very good job of catching the ball, making very quick decisions, either to keep the ball moving or just to catch and drive and swing and can kind of can keep um, the defense in rotation. And so the ball swings back around to maybe one of your better shooters. And so it's not the biggest concern. uh, And it's like not how white makes his impact, It'd be a lot cooler if he did shoot threes, let me tell you that. I'm not not saying that I don't want Derek White making threes, but I just don't think it's the biggest concern for the Celtics. And with regards to Marcus Smart, yes, I think teams are going to ask him to shoot, but we've also seen him – how many threes did he hit against the Raptors in that one game? Was it 11? Like Marcus Smart has been a willing three-point shooter. Actually, he's gotten much more selective in in terms of his three-pointers taken this year. Uh but I'm I have no problems with Marcus Smart taking open threes. Like if that's how teams are asking the Celtics to beat them, like I think the Celtics can uh Marcus is a good enough shooter at this point where um I'm fairly confident in his ability to knock down open shots, especially if they just keep giving them to him. All right, the final uh, that 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 that's fair. I, I, I do feel like the Celtics have a lot of swing
4: guys in the playoff series. Like they got they got some streaky bros. <laughs> like Smart Smart could hit 10 out of 15, but he could also go cold. Derek White has been cold since he got to the Celtics, basically, after that first game. Um, Al Horford, you know, are are you going to get the Al Horford who shoots 36 or 37% from three, or are you going to get the Al Horford from earlier this season? So I I feel like any of those guys, um, like, being hot at the right time could go a long way for the Celtics, and vice versa.
3: All right, let's go to Celebrity Caller. Live from Los Angeles, our main man, June. June, how's it going? Nice little Saturday oh, cool morning legend. there for you. Yeah, man, under
6: the, under the Saturday morning, just listening to you two, man. How's it, like, my life, you know?
3: <laughs> Things couldn't be better.
4: Yeah, <laughs> yeah.
6: that's Such tough a life. That's
4: tough to just wake up and, and listen to us. Like, that's a tough way to start the week. Uh.
6: <laughs> yeah, man, it, it's tough, tough life out here. Uh, but, yeah, I guess. <laughs> I had a question, uh, but I guess I just because you guys just brought her up, I just wanted to comment. Like, one of my favorite things about any Celtics playoff run is just the random game two or three that you know you're going to get when Marcus Smart hits seven threes and they just win. Because when Marcus Smart hits seven threes, you, it's hard to lose. Um, but then, um, just on the recent run, um, I just wanted to ask a question about Jalen Brown, who wasn't really discussed. Um, so far um, I wanted to just ask your thoughts on what have you made of his I guess not recent I guess since the wrist injury his loosening of his handles um, and on a positive note what have you made of his recent I think recent improvement in playmaking and uh, making better reads Um, maybe not from like a standstill pick and roll but like when he when 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 Jason Tatum gets trapped and he gets a secondary action he's making all those reads. I think we saw that, was that yesterday? I think yesterday's game or maybe against Charlotte where, you know, Tatum got double, Jalen drove it, found found smart for a layup, found smart for a corner three, stuff like that. What have you made of, you know, Jalen's recent play?
4: Yeah, I think, uh, I mean, obviously he hasn't been, like, his most efficient scoring-wise since coming back. From uh the the short absence he had. Uh, now the the playmaking, I feel like like he, he's he's just more willing to do it. And I think all the Celtics are. And I think you know there there just seems to be more trust within the Celtics that you know when Jason Tatum gets doubled and he makes the next pass that the next guy will do the right thing with it. And I think we, we've we seen Jalen take advantage of that and throw lobs to Robert Williams and throw kick-out passes to guys and throw the extra pass. Uh, and And I, I just feel like that's a team-wide thing, not necessarily a Jalen thing, but, but Jalen's part of it too. And uh, obviously, uh, like Tatum is going to be the guy for them who's going to be the primary playmaker, who's going to be the guy in charge of the offense when it's the fourth quarter of a close playoff game and Jalen's going to be playing off him. And uh, we we've seen him grow in those moments in being aware of, of what he should do and then doing it. And I, I just think the the willingness is the most important part and the trust is the most important part for, for the entire Celtics team, including Jalen.
3: Yeah, it does feel like recently his handle has been a little bit looser and he's like gotten more turnovers, but then it's also feel like he has more assists. And I was like, that's pure eye test. Let me go and check his season averages. This year, he's averaging 2.8 turnovers a game, which is up from 2.7 turnovers a game last year. And he's averaging three and a half, or 3.4 assists per game, which is the exact same 3.4 assists a game he had uh, last year. So... I know you can't look at statistics alone, but it does feel like he's playing a little bit like, like you said, is more comfortable, more willing to use the basketball or move the basketball, but I don't know if like that drastic like there's been a drastic change in his playmaking. I just think it feels like the Celtics altogether ball movement has been better and everyone's just kind of making the right decision making. I don't know if it's necessarily been Jalen alone, but he's been doing he's been playing well. Um within the team system. And I think he's just very comfortable now. Um, I think he's taking a, a little bit more shots in the mid range. Um, and again, that's purely eye test, but it feels like he's been doing a decent job um, knocking those down. And I think he's pretty comfortable going and getting his own shot, which I think is going to be needed, especially with all the attention that Tatum's going to get. Uh, I mean, obviously if teams double him, they're going to Celtics are going to need to move the basketball and play some four on three, but there's just going to be moments in the playoffs where the game slows down. There's some ISO basketball, and I think they're going to need Jalen to either get his own shot or make the right play and limit the turnovers. Uh, and I think he's kind of well-positioned to do that. All right. We've been going long. The final caller of this episode, we're going to James E. right now. James, thanks for joining us.
2: Hey, can you guys hear me? Yes, sir. Thank God. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> I am I, I, –
3: <laughs> you
2: guys brought up Jalen Brown because I was getting ready to rant for him rant about him just a minute um I know he's coming back from injury but he used to be my favorite player so I really watch him when I watch the games like I focus on him probably too much but the guy's handle is it's almost like he's trying to be trying to do too much be too cute with it and it's like you could be a top 15 player if you just it kept it basic you know and he it just seems like he's he's trying to do too much but the the big thing with him is of and I'm glad you mentioned it, Jay earlier uh, him being the seventh out of base uh, defenders on this team it's like out of all of our top eight guys he's one of the worst defenders he makes the slowest decisions with the ball he gets beat off the dribble constantly and if he's not putting the ball in the bucket he's really not that effective for this team and I really don't know if he's a serious enough number two on a championship team, and I, I was listening to the CLNS guys last night, and they finally brought up this stuff that I've been thinking for months now, you know, and it's just, I, I just don't understand that anyone that points this stuff out just gets leveled as a hater, and it's almost more of like a disappointment because I know what he's capable of, and I, like, love his personality off the court. I love everything with, everything that he's about, but there's just something going on where he just seems like he's in the clouds. Like he took a puff from the vape pen before he, before he went out on the court or something. It's like, bro, everybody else is locked in. And he's like two steps slow every other game, but it's sacrilegious. If anyone ever brings that up. And I don't know. I just kind of wonder if your guys thought, of think-
4: I I think that's probably a little harsh toward Jalen. Um, like, I think he is a very effective defender. Like, being whatever he is on the team, ranked as a defender, like, that's a ranking against guys who are all extremely smart and extremely good defensively. Um, So, I think from from that standpoint, yeah, once in a while he'll get beat back door, but but that seems to be happening less frequently. Uh, Once in a while he'll have a game where he'll just kind of wonder, like, what types of decisions is Jalen making today? And I, I do think it's fair to wonder um, whether he's good enough as a second star to to win a title. Um, because you look at other second stars in the East, it's like Philadelphia has James Harden. Uh, Brooklyn has Kyrie Irving. Uh, Milwaukee has Chris Middleton. Like you, you can go up and down the list. Miami has Jimmy Butler or Bam Adebayo, whoever. Kyle Lowry, if, if you want to consider him second. So the the competition is going to be great. And if you're judging Jalen against that standard, then yeah, it's fair to nitpick and and talk about some of this the the lack of high level um, awareness. At times, but I also think if he goes off for, you know, 30 in back to back playoff games, I I won't be surprised at all. And and we've seen him play at a a very high level in in games that matter a lot. So, yeah, I I, I mean, I I hear your your criticisms. Um, I don't think they're all valid or all they're all like have some truth to them at least. But I I also think Jalen does a lot of great things on a basketball court. And, you know, you, you hear all the talk about, can, can Tatum and Brown play together? And it's funny now because you look at the stats and the Celtics are uh, scoring teams by 12 points per a hundred possessions with those two guys on the court. And it's like, okay, yeah, maybe they can play together. Um, so yeah, I, uh, I, I do think there's like a bigger gap now between Tatum and Brown. Like last year, it felt like Jalen was really closing that gap. And or at least at the beginning of last year, and it's a, it's a pretty big gap now, but that's because Tatum has taken just another step as a playmaker and everything like that. And that even, yeah, that, I think, even yeah. that Jalen should be credited for because he's cool with it. You know, like, like he's okay with that. It, it, it hasn't been a competition between those guys.
3: I mean, I think there's valid criticisms for every player on the team now. I think Jalen's like the most obvious one just because the four other guys in the starting lineup have been playing exceptionally well, but they still have like been the best team in the league in twenty twenty two since the all-star break are twelve and or ten and two. Jalen like he gets criticism for his turnovers, but like in that stretch is like averaging close to five assists a game and only two and a half turnovers. So it's a nice little two to one assist to turnover ratio. I don't think he's been as bad as uh, James would like us to believe. I think there's like valid criticism there, but I still think at the end of the day, he's your second star. And um, like, I don't know when you're complaining on a historic winning streak you're obviously going to have, um, some things to pick out, but I don't know. I'm, you know me, Mister Positivity. I'm not ready to shit on Jalen Brown right now. It's just uh, not in my nature. Um, but I don't know. It, 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 the, the whole call threw me off my uh, threw me off my axis. I wasn't ready for. Took away the vibes. Um, took away let, the. Vibes. Let's restore the vibes um, by talking about the KG retirement ceremony tomorrow. You and Jared Weiss wrote an oral history of the KG era, which was just phenomenal. Some great stories in there. I have my, my favorite story, but I was wondering what was your, you, what were the big moments that you uh, took away from that and the things that made you laugh the most or were most interesting to you? It was such a fun story to work on
4: because everyone, <laughs> the stories about his tenure were just nuts. And, and you could tell from everyone, from talking to everyone, that, that those Memories were just as fun and and unforgettable to them as as they would be to everyone else um, even some of the stuff that, that didn't make the story like is just just classic stuff um one one thing I heard so one of the Celtics video coordinators um this was like two thousand eight two thousand nine he was technically an intern at the time it was his first year and kg asked him when they got off the team playing like did they give you per diem and they weren't giving him per diem because they're they're not because he was an intern like that's not part of it and kg took him up to his hotel room took out a thousand (laughs) dollars slammed on the bed and said here we go (laughs) like that's just that's crazy and and it's stories like that mixed with him just ripping everyone's head off and and holding guys accountable to the highest levels and then being a competitive nut job whether it's on the airplane or anywhere else. Like there there's just not anyone like that guy. And and you talking to people at that time, it's funny, like they would all tell me stories about how he like tortured them when they weren't weren't doing their job to the highest level or when they fucked up and, and like, we're having fun on a game day or something. And then they'd be like, and he's the greatest teammate who ever lived. And and I love him.
3: (laughs) He made me a better man.
4: (laughs) Yeah. So so it was just funny to hear guys like the, the dichotomy, I guess, between like this guy is a maniac and this guy yelled at me all the time versus he was also my favorite teammate. And like, I cherished the time that I spent
3: with him. So just, just special. He was absolutely a special character. Just like, seems like a terrifying individual. I liked Brian do. I love Brian do being like, he flipped out at me. Cause I didn't put the Gatorade in the water in the right hand, but then, <laughs> like something just like a completely crazy response for not having like his water and Gatorade ready. But then the end of the Brian do quote was like, but you know what, man, at the end of the day, he was right. I should have had that Gatorade ready for him. Cause it's not about me. It's about the team. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, and, and you, you it makes you
4: realize how different some of the best athletes on earth are. Like I, I could never have done that shit. I never would have been able to lift guys in that way. Cause I'm not driven enough. I'm not going to sit there and cuss people out and yell at people and Whenever they they fail to live up to to my standard, and I think what why it worked is because he was a competitive maniac himself. Like he held himself to the same level that he held everyone else to. Um, so it, it should be fun. It should be fun Sunday when his jersey goes up into the rafters and all all the many of the old players will will be there uh, to, to celebrate. Was Kelly
3: Olinick Really standing at half court during the ceremony uh, oh, yesterday. Oh oh he sure was. It was great it was great because it was it was
4: like Antoine Walker, Paul Pierce, uh I think James Posey was there, but a bunch of guys older than them too. And then Kelly Linick was standing there in his jersey and then <laughs> like everyone was standing up standing in a line at half court and Kelly had a dip, presumably to go go listen to Dwayne Casey give it his halftime speech, but everyone was just standing in line and being honored. And Kelly just took off for the locker room. <laughs> it, it, it was a great moment.
3: I, I enjoyed it thoroughly. The absolute best story in the oral history, which you guys should all check out on the athletic. You got, There's a crazy deal going on right now, like $1 subscriptions. Yeah. $1 subscriptions at the athletic for new subscribers, sign up through that link. So I, I get credit for it boys and girls. But the absolute best story, I believe it was was a Jamie Young um, handing his his one year old child over to KG, and the baby being scared, and KG just screaming,
1: "You scared of me, baby? You scared of me?" <laughs>
3: <laughs> yeah, I mean,
4: sometimes, sometimes, sometimes you, you got
5: to scream at a baby. Your
4: baby's gonna get. Get screamed up by KG. My favorite was the, the steam shower that Brandon Bass was just petrified <laughs> going in the steam shower on game days because he knew Kevin Garnett was going to go in there. And, and if he was in there when Kevin wanted to go in there, <laughs> it was going to be a bad scene.
3: <laughs> that, that cracked me up so much just because of like the steam shower. And... <laughs> Everyone needs to like, you know, get clean before a game. Like... <laughs> yeah, but no, don't, do not go in there on game day. <laughs> Absolutely not. Well, it's going to be fun to see KG get his number five retired in the Raptors rafters. um, And um, this was fun. Thanks. all. we had a lot of callers today. That was uh, was great. Joshua started off. Thank God he did because that was bringing some wonderful energy there. Um, If screaming uh, on a podcast is potable, then I would absolutely have to say um, screaming at a baby like uh, Kevin Garnett is potable. Uh, and that's going to do it for us, folks. I don't feel like yelling anymore. Thanks for listening. Tune in next week, and we'll continue to talk about the Celtics as they make their march to the playoffs. Thanks for listening.